Welcome to the weekend edition of the Big Self Podcast. This is The Learning Curve, and Shelly and I are here to process with you what we've been learning this week. Boy, it, sometimes it's hard to do because there's a lot we're constantly taking in and learning. What, what What's up with you, honey? Hi, good morning. It's good to be here. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I've been... Well, go ahead. Well, um, yeah, no, I wanted to say happy Friday to everybody. Um, we don't really have weekends anymore, so <laughs> let's just pretend that we're all uh, on the, you know, knocking on the door of a weekend here with a bunch of cookouts and margaritas and playtime. So well, wouldn't that be Memorial nice? Memorial Day weekend. Oh, right? that's true. Yes. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, doing, We're all doing the best we can. It's a rainy day. There may be some uh, some thunderstorms passing over us as we're recording right now, but um, I think it beats the lawnmower that was cranking up right when we were starting last time. Uh, thanks for enduring that if you uh, tuned in. So we, one of the things, uh, Shelly, that I've been uh, you know, painstakingly researching, at first it was painstaking and then it kind of became um, really, I got really immersed in it and really started enjoying it, was uh, as I'm building this book, this short book on self-knowledge, how to build self-knowledge. And one of the sections was on the true self, and I wanted to explore a little bit what neuroscientists, philosophers, and psychologists were saying about, you know, does it exist and how do you know? Yeah, so let's tee this up a little bit. So big self is true self plus your big ideas equals your big self. Right. And that's um, kind of the formula for what basically everything that we're doing with this business. Um, so I, yeah, the idea of the true self um, is really important and critical to the work that we're, we're studying, but also that we're creating. So um, yeah, so I think it's an important topic for us to talk about. Well, yeah. And so what I found is that, boy, did I, f so I thought it would just be a pretty, you know, easy section. I would find some, some literature on it, do some summary. And then I fell down the Alice in Wonderland, uh, rabbit hole, the true self rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I couldn't get out of it for a while. I had yeah. to dig hard. So, uh, because well, it's one of those things that, you know, I think neuroscientists haven't done as much research on this concept as you might think. In other words, like there, we, you know, I think in the 2010s, there were a lot of books coming out, all this, you know, the brain is doing this, the brain is doing that. Uh, and, and there was kind of this excitement that we were suddenly like looking at literally what the brain is doing when it is blank meditating or, you know, all these other things. Well, in the end there, there has been a lot of study on mindfulness and what the brain is doing. But anyway, I think we're just, we're really in kind of still a dark ages with what neuroscience really knows about the true self. And of course, philosophy is famous for, you know, sophistry and just using language in all these ways. And man, you could just endlessly like, what is a self? And what, how do you really describe the length of a piece of string? And yeah. Well, and you, you and I were talking this week about some of the research that's come out around, um, I guess for lack of a better word, the neuroscience of developing a self. And basically the conclusion was that it was kind of this, uh, thought, 
exercise in subjectivity. And I don't know that there was a lot of empirical data around it. So the idea that you can even research the true self at oh, all, yes, yes, I yes. think is questionable. Well, a couple of interesting things about that, right? So first of all, we could say in psychology, uh, D.W. Winnicott uh, is it, who you love. He, um, in 1960, he, I think, gets credit for defining the the original sort of term of the true self in yeah. psychology. So let me share his definition. So uh, I did my, my master's thesis on D.W. Winnicott, and his definition of the true self is the spontaneous expression of being alive, yeah. which I love. I love that it's got this simple, the, the 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 expression, the spontaneous expression of being alive. It's not preoccupied with how I should be alive, but only that I am alive. Well, it's very interesting, and I think that that is a <laughs> that's a good beginning point um, uh, in terms of defining what we're talking about with the true self. But um, all the way bringing it up to now, there was a really influential 2017 study by some Yale um, a Yale collective of professors, and the study, if you wanted to look it up, it's called "The True Self: A Psychological Concept Distinct from the Self." First of all, I, well, actually, okay, so the self. The self, I think we can all say is, yes, that develops, um, you know, unlike, so I think the only other creatures other than human beings that can pass the mirror test, um, right. which is what uh, an 18-month-old can and do. Yeah, and it, well, the mirror test is if you put a mirror up to a, an infant, no, toddler, not infant, toddler, and they have uh, something on their nose that they begin to, Identify that it's on their nose versus the near the, the kid in the mirror's nose. Apparently, so. chimpanzees, dolphins, and elephants can also pass the mirror test. But even by like, so we call that self awareness. Actually, there are a couple of levels beyond that. And actually, if you one one way to summarize it, I thought was kind of cute. Uh, this researcher took a three year old named Jennifer. And he had Jennifer look at a videotape of, of her with uh, a sticker on her forehead. And Jennifer said, she saw the video and she said, that's Jennifer, that's a sticker. And then she paused and said, but why is she wearing my shirt? <laughs> and I thought that was kind of cute and funny. So there is this sense at first of you, you recognize that it's you, but it's still like not until you're actually four or five years old do you really realize when you look in the mirror that that is myself and that self is not changing. That is who I am. And then it dawns on you for the next level, level five, that other people are actually seeing the self. And th that's this basic idea of the so we know that there is this self, right? When you want French fries and you're denied French fries, it is yourself that is being denied the French fries. Right. right. Yeah. And I think of, you know, because of course I think about it psychologically that uh, that the self, you know, when I think of myself, I am this self and not that self. Like I am, yeah. I'm a composition of uh, what I would call a soul, you know, personality, genetic predispositions, like all of these things that create myself. Who you are. Yeah. And I think that, um, yes, it develops young for us as, as human beings, 
but the growing it and the development of it and the getting to know it as a spiritual thing, I think is that's the work of the lifetime. That's oh, the work yeah. of, uh, and, and of course, highly subjective. So the well, fact that we could research it, I think is empirically, I think is, um, I don't know. Bring it, bringing it back to the true self. Very nice. So these researchers in this 2017 study, the true, um, the true self, psychological concept distinct from the self, they found that people typically, this is good news, they found that people typically think humans harbor a true self that is morally good. The core of the work shows our tendency to think that in the privacy of their innermost selves, people pull for what is virtuous. People tend to consider that the true self has been altered if a person's moral sense is changed. But this is what you're getting at. The team of her colleagues, the team and her colleagues, Strominger, uh, they they concluded that you can never prove the existence of this true self due to the, quote, radical subjectivity and unverifiability of the self as a scientific subject. Well, yes. fair enough, right? right? Yes. We know. But I do think, you know, there's something interesting here, you know, anecdotally, I think all of us recognize the, um, um, it's a comfort level, it's a knowing, it's a home base when we are living in this kind of authentic truthfulness of who we are versus we also know when we are living the false self and we are living out of uh, kind of this, we you know, create this exoskeleton to prop us up and wear, you know, these masks that we have to put on and we have to uh, perform yeah. certain ways. And so I think everybody who has had any life experience at all can definitely recognize the difference. When I'm in this situation or, or honoring the, the true self, this is how it feels. And it's certainly different than when I'm uh, in relationships with people or in situations where I'm having to don the false self. If we're listening, some people can kind of ignore it. But one of the things that I, I think that relates as the next step of thinking, of, okay, so there's this true self, moral self, we know maybe there's this authenticity that comes from it. But a lot of people we have, we have what, you know, an inner voice. Uh, mm -hmm. And that we that that sort of you know kind of narrates dictates things to us. Uh, some of us are not as aware of it as as others, but we you know there's this concept that I came across. It's you know that you can it's on Wikipedia and everything. Uh, it's called the inner critic. And, uh, and, you know, for some people, a lot of us have like this good kind of fair judge within us, kind of calmly evaluating. And a lot of us have a real like strong inner critic. Mm -hmm. And, and, and there's been a lot of, there's a lot of literature on like, well, what do you do about that? If you have a strong inner critic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, an inner critic, the idea where I first came across it was, uh, Hal and Sidra Stone, um, their voice dialogue techniques and um, psychosynthesis. And so we have all these kind of different parts of our personality. Inner critic is one part. Um, and I think they actually called it the critical parent voice. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, the integration is the goal. You know, that's really what our whole mission is about is, is helping people integrate into a whole fully functioning human and so they talked a lot about integrating, <clears throat> excuse me, the inner critic voice 
of your personality with the voice of, uh, and a lot of people call it different things, kind of the, you know, the inner teacher, uh, the wisdom part of your, of your personality, that there's a, there's a counterbalance that we have to get equally comfortable and familiar with. And this goes to what you were talking about with becoming our own best friend. Yeah, apparently some of the literature that I came across, like uh, aside from going to therapy, and of course there's all kinds of meditation techniques and stuff, but to overcome the inner critic kind of on your own, you have to be, um, and I think Anne Lamott has said something like this, you need to trust yourself and you need to be militantly on your own side. Mm -hmm. You have to be a really good friend. What is a really good friend? A really good friend, you know, like listens listens to you and is really encouraging and kind of overlooks a lot of the flaws, maybe because they don't know, you haven't revealed those things and they don't know them. They, they don't live with you day in and day out and they, they, and you kind of present yourself in a certain way to them. You have to be really on your own side and encouraging yourself. I though was reminded of, you know, like if we're going to like really prop ourselves up, it's not just to make ourselves feel good. It is this idea of being an, a fair judge to ourselves. And I was reminded of uh, Lester Bangs. Remember him in, the, in one of my favorite movies? Yes, one of your favorites. Almost yes. famous. Lester Bangs played by the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he was telling his young protege, William Miller. Remember William <laughs> Miller? Wait, uh, who played him? Is that I forget John the actor's name. But, I mean, it was... Um, Ah, well, we're, we're digressing, yeah. but, uh, William Miller and he's, and so Lester Bangs says, I know you think those guys are your friends. You want to be a true friend to them? Be honest and unmerciful. And that's what, I, that's how I feel like we should be. You know, sometimes you, the you in you needs a good truth telling, even if it's not what you want to hear. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> let's here here's what I would say to that. Okay. So I, I, I think that's funny. I think it's uh Patrick Fugit. Is that his name? Okay. I don't know. It looks like but he was him. playing Cameron Crow, right? Yes. Sort of. Yeah. Yes. The okay. So, um, so, the first step of this process, and I think that's what you're talking about, is self-observation. So being able to kind of step out of the self and yeah. look and observe, oh, this is interesting. I have this really critical voice right now. Why? What is it saying? Yeah. Why is it saying that? What's, what's that about? What's going on for that? And then uh, shifting, you know, being able to listen as intently to another person part of you, this wisdom part of you. But, but I want to say this too. I think that, you know, unconditionally loving yourself is not uncritically loving yourself. Nice. That's I, it. I think there's a piece of the reality testing. Like we, a lot of people talk about the inner critic and that we need to quash it. We just need to get rid of it. And I don't, I don't think so. I think most of us, especially a lot of women, we have a, an overinflated inner critic. And so we need mm. to deflate it. But but there is some really necessary um, ego testing, reality testing, whatever you want to call it, that does protect us. It keeps us kind of tuned in with reality. And so there's a part of that that we don't want to lose, um, you know, so, so, so I wouldn't say swap out everything for just unconditional self-love. I don't, I think there is a place for seeing ourselves clearly, 
um, with this this level of honesty that's really important. Yeah, uh, and I so uh, there's a lot to unpack here, and this is I think that's just some of my takeaways from the day. I wanted to say also like there's ways to listen for the inner voice to uh, ask yourself like a question like questions like what what do you what does your inner voice say when you feel lazy or when you feel stuck what is your inner voice saying or um, you know what if someone else is succeeds at something you want to be good at what is your inner voice telling you uh, or what is your inner voice telling you when you are thinking about taking a risk and pursuing a dream and if you really listen to that, you can begin to identify like how, well, how does your inner voice sound? Is it, is it kind and fair? Is it easygoing? Is it harsh? Is it impossible to please? And that can kind of help guide you a little bit in, uh, in listening to it. But I, I, I don't think there's some kind of ultimate utopia where you've worked beyond it and you just know your inner voice and it's never critical and there's no tension or struggle. Yeah, I don't I don't know that the, you know, the majority of us would ever get to that point in our lifetime. Not not until life is over. Right. I don't know that we'll reach that level of nirvana or even that we yeah. want to. I don't know. Right. Um, but I think it's I think what we ultimately want to do is be honest with ourselves, right? And I'm reminded of um a fantastic a powerful quote by the um late V.S. Nepal, the um Nobel Prize winning uh author. And he, he uh, once said, the only lies for which we are truly punished are those we tell ourselves. So I want to encourage you today, our listeners, to choose to be the director of your voices. Listen to them and train your mind to not react, but to reflect. Train your mind to stop hiding and being cowed into submission by maybe what others are telling you, maybe by your critical inner voice, and you choose to start dictating some of the terms of these voices and who you are. Preach. <laughs> we going to church. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's fun. So that's some of the stuff that we've been learning this week. Um, any quotes from you? Because you, you have a quote every time. Is this the first time you're not going to have a quote? I think this is the first time I don't have a quote. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I still Nothing unconditionally love you. Back at you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And have a great weekend. We'll see you soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, join the community on Facebook at the Big Self Society. You can find us at big underscore self on Twitter. And we are also at the Big Self Society on Medium, where we feature and curate content on topics ranging from psychology to creativity and productivity. We'd love to hear from you. What show made an impact on your thinking, your habits, your decision making, or anything else? And anyone you'd like us to reach out to and have on the show, let us know.